The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Does Galatians 6.16 actually teach that the church is the Israel of God? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome to our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you as a Jewish follower of Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, making him known to my people Israel and to the whole world. Thanks for joining us. Here's the number to call. Any Jewish-related question of any kind, I especially invite those who differ with me, fellow Jews who believe I'm wrong in proclaiming Jesus, Yeshua, as our Messiah. But anyone can call. Any background, any Jewish-related question. So it could be about the Hebrew language, could be about the Hebrew Bible, could be about Messianic prophecy, could be about Israel today. You name it. As long as it's Jewish-related, 866-348-7884. I was praying, reflecting last night, saying, okay, where do we want to go on the show today? Sometimes we have things planned out further in advance, but many times we just wait so we can get closer to the show and see if there are any key news things we want to talk about or developments. And I thought, you know, let's dig deep into one particular verse, which is often used to argue that the church is now the, quote, Israel of God, that specifically this new thing that God has done, bringing Jew and Gentile together in Jesus the Messiah. So it's not dictated by one's ethnicity or connection to the physical nation of Israel or descent from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or being circumcised. Rather, it is connected to faith in Jesus, and therefore it is for Jew and Gentile alike, this ecclesia, this new thing, in, in Old Testament times, if, if you're reading the Septuagint Greek, ecclesia could have referred to the congregation of, of Israel, so, so meaning that physical nation and the Gentile converts that had become part of that nation. But now the New Testament would be using it in a way that's speaking of Jew and Gentile together in Jesus the Messiah, regardless of circumcision, ethnicity, connection to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So... Many have argued that Galatians 6.16 is where Paul explicitly calls the church, therefore calls Christians, Gentile Christians, calls them the Israel of God. Remember, Galatians is written to Gentile believers who had been influenced by, by false teachers among the Jewish people, saying, unless you are circumcised and obey the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And this is the pressure they were under, and they had fallen away from the gospel of grace. That's why Paul writes to him in such strong words. Well, let's, let's take a look at Galatians 6.16. And for those watching, we're going to put it up in accordance. So I'm going to have English on the left, and then I'm going to have in the middle the Greek, and then I'm going to, excuse me, I'm going to have Greek, then English, then the Latin Vulgate. So this is one of the earliest translations into another language from the Greek. So when you start with the ESV, it clearly says, and, and the general verse, everyone basically agrees on, on this part, okay? Uh, whoops, just had the wrong reference typed in on my computer here. That's why it didn't come up on my screen. Basically, everybody agrees on the first part. As for those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them. And then it's this last clause, and upon the Israel of God. 
Is he now saying to the Gentile Christians, you are the new Israel of God? Or is he saying, no, no, no. Peace upon all who walk by this rule, in other words, what I've taught you, Gentile Christians, and also upon the Israel of God, meaning Jews who follow the Messiah. Now, the, the Greek in front of the word upon the Israel of God has the word Kai, right? Now, Kai is one of our radio producers, but this is not Kai in the Bible here. This is the word and, Kai, which occurs over and over and, under, uh, and over, though how many hundreds, thousands of times in, in the Greek Bible. So it says, and upon the Israel of God. So normally, Kai is translated as and. That's the normal translation. If you read King James, you'd see and. In most modern English translations, you'll see and. But it can, in certain circumstances, if the context dictates, it could mean even. So in other words, based on this interpretation, what Paul is saying, for all who walk by this rule, What's the rule? Well, let's look at the previous verse. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, excuse me, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So that's the issue. Not whether you're circumcised or not. Rather, are you in the Messiah? And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them, even, even you, Gentile Christians, even you, the Israel of God. That would, that would be, that would be, the way that it would be argued for those who say that the church is now the Israel of God. By the way, this is the only time this phrase occurs in the Bible, the Israel of God. So should we take this in its most natural sense, that Paul's saying peace upon those who follow this rule, Gentile Christians who are living by this, and also, hey, we're not discarding Jewish believers, we're not discarding God's purposes for Israel, and also peace upon the Israel of God, or is he saying, and for all who follow this rule, hey, peace, mercy upon you, for you, even you, you are the new Israel. You are the Israel of God, in which case the church replaces Israel. Now, the earliest translation, the Latin, if, if we look again on our software, the Latin Vulgate simply says et, which is the normal word for and. So it, it's not reading it differently there. It's reading it as and. And reading it as and would suggest two different groups here. Those who follow this rule and also, also the Israel of God. Okay, so let's do this. And for those that just have access to the internet, which is most all of you, go to BibleGateway.com. BibleGateway.com. Now, this is not software on a high level like Accordance or Logos or others where you dig in the languages and massive commentaries. There's a lot of great free information there. So you go to BibleGateway.com and you type in Galatians 6.16. And then after you do, you pick a version. So we'll pick the NIV. And then after you do that, on the bottom of of the box that you're looking at on the screen, it'll say click here for all translations. So let's just see how different translations have rendered this over the years into English. The ASV, and I'm just going to read the end, and upon the Israel of God. The Amplified, which again is amplifying, and upon the true Israel of God, parentheses, Jewish believers. I like that. Yeah, it's amplified. It's adding commentary. That's what it does. But, oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's look at the CSB. And mercy even to the Israel of God, the complete Jewish Bible, CJB, 
And upon the Israel of God, the CEV, which is paraphrastic, uh, if you follow this rule, you belong to God's true people. God will treat you with undeserved kindness and will bless you with peace. Do you see how that alters the meaning there? Uh, let's see, ESV, and upon the Israel of God, uh, HCSB, and mercy to the Israel of God, ISV, and may mercy be on the Israel of God, King James, and upon the Israel of God, Lexham Bible, and on the Israel of God, uh, the message paraphrase, uh, it is what God is doing. He's creating something totally new, a free life. All who walk by the standard are the true Israel of God, his chosen people, peace and mercy. Them. So that's, that's a paraphrase that really does distort the meaning. It's a very strong replacement theology paraphrase. Uh, the MEV, uh, and upon the Israel of God, NASB, and upon the Israel of God, NET, and on the Israel of God, uh, NIV, to the Israel of God. Uh, let's just see, NLT, ah, here's a mild paraphrase, and here this distorts the meaning as well. May God's peace and mercy be on all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. It even takes the word Israel out. The footnote is better, but that's, that's a, an error there. Uh, NRSV, and upon the Israel of God, on and on I can go. The, the point is, almost all modern English translations, even going back to the King James, the vast, vast majority rightly translated and on or and upon the Israel of God. Recognizing that's just the most natural way to read the Greek. Now, now think of this for a minute. Paul has strenuously argued to the point of saying that the gospel that you've been preached, the gospel you've heard is not a real gospel. And the one that brings a message like this should be accursed. That's how bad it is. That's how dangerous it is. Telling Gentile Christians, unless you are circumcised and obey the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. All right? That's how dangerous that heresy is. Paul actually speaks a curse on those who would bring it. And, and speaks about these people in very, very strong, negative terms. And calls them false brothers. All right? That's how strong he is on it. Why now would he end the letter, and not even in the most direct way, in a more subtle way, why would he end the letter by telling them, by the way, you're spiritual Jews, by the way, you're spiritual Israel. The whole point he's been making is that they do not need to be part of physical Israel. The whole point he's been making is that they do not need to be circumcised and therefore identify with ethnic physical Israel under the covenant. And because they are not physical Israel, they are not under obligation to obey the Sinai covenant. That's the whole thing he's been hammering home chapter after chapter in the strongest possible terms. And then to, in the end to say neither circumcision matters nor uncircumcision in terms of salvation, but rather being a new creation in the Messiah. That's the whole point that is being argued. Why would he now turn around to them and say, you are the Israel of God? It's like, well, if we're Israel, we should be circumcised. If we're Israel, we should be obeying the Sinai covenant. If we're... No, his point is the exact opposite. That is not what you are obligated to be doing. That is not what you are under. Paul is shouting it for the rooftops. But you might get the impression because of the strength of what he's written and, and the force of his rebuke, that he was throwing out Israel, or he was throwing out Jewish believers, who as Jewish believers 
were circumcising their sons, and as Jewish believers, were observing the Torah, not as a matter of salvation, but as a matter of, of covenantal calling and identification with their people, etc. So he's making clear, no, I'm not throwing them out, the Israel of God, those that really know the Lord. The Jewish believers may the same blessing be on them that I'm speaking over you. Who is the Israel of God, according to Paul? It is Messianic Jews. It, was Jew, it is Jewish, it is and it was Jewish believers in Jesus Yeshua, the Messiah. Important verse. Let's not get it wrong. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Be sure to visit the Real Messiah website. We've got all kinds of treasures waiting for you there. Full debates I've done with rabbis, answers in writing or video to 100 major Jewish objections to Jesus being the Messiah, uh, other outreach videos we've done, other materials that will help edify, build you up, answer questions. Great for a seeker. Great if you've got a Jewish friend with questions. Send them there. You'll find a ton of stuff is answered there in the free resources. Tell your friends. Share it. Don't keep it to yourself. We have supporters that help us do these things. Some of you are those supporters. Thank you for helping us to, to put out so much information for so many people for free. Realmessiah.com. Okay, I, I'm going to respond in a little while to a, a typical post from someone attacking our position as Jewish believers in Jesus, attacking me in particular. But what I want to do is show you the level of the rhetoric the level of the rhetoric is, is exactly proportional to the weakness of the argument. In other words, the more the person posts and the uglier the vitriol and the harsher the accusations, that's directly proportionate to the emptiness of the arguments. We're going to look at that in a moment to illustrate this and to, to make it a teachable moment. But it reminds me of, of a, a court case where the client is reviewing things with his lawyer and the lawyer says, okay, here, here are the five points we're going to make in your defense. And, and the client says, all right, when you get to number four, get really emphatic, get really strong, because that's my weakest point. So in other words, it's a little subterfuge. You get more aggressive with it to cover up the weakness of it. I imagine the person posting this is unconscious of doing that. But we're going to open that up and look at it. It's an anonymous post, so I'm not even embarrassing anybody publicly, even though they post it public in our YouTube channel. But we'll get into that first. Let's go to the phones. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's start with Anthony in Richmond, Virginia. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. <clears throat> Excuse me. I wanted to ask about Genesis, where it says, let us make man in our image. Mm -hmm. And I was always confused as to why it was written in a plural form. And I was thinking that I know in some romance languages there's a construct where it kind of translates as let us do something, 
even though it's not necessarily plural. And I was wondering if the same thing exists in Hebrew, and that might explain why it's written that way. Yeah, so, that way. yeah, I appreciate the, the nature of the question. Of course, it, it's a common question to ask why that's written. So let me give you, give you a number of different explanations. Some refer to what's called the plural of majesty, where royalty would say, let us, or we have decided. And it's just an individual, but it's, it's because it's, you're a king, you're a queen, you speak that way. We have decided, thus and such. The problem with that argument is that verbal forms are not only found like that, let us do this, or we will do this. Rather, it's just speaking about the person himself or herself. We have decided, or this has come to our attention. So the plural of majesty is very questionable there. Some have said it's the plural of deliberation. Let's do this. Let's do this. The problem is it goes on to speak of our likeness and our image. So the plural of deliberation is, is unlikely there as well. There are rabbinic explanations. One says it is God speaking to the angels. So here human beings will be made in the image of God and the angels as opposed to the rest of creation. The question is how directly were the angels involved in that creation? Uh, there is another rabbinic interpretation that God is speaking to the elements of creation here to the earth, saying, let us make man. And uh, the issue there is, is that man, Adam, comes from the ground, Adama. So let us make, again, but is, is, are human beings made in the image of the earth? I, I wouldn't say so. So a, a standard Christian explanation is that this is God revealing his triune nature as happens at different places like Genesis 3, Genesis 11, Isaiah 6, there are references of God speaking about us. And this would be a hint that, uh, of God's uh, plurality in unity, God's complex unity, that he is absolutely one as the scriptures declare, and yet he is complex in his unity. So Naseh Adam B'Tselmenu Kidmutenu in Hebrew would be a hint at God's triune nature. So there are other explanations, but they tend to fall short. And the, the idea that this is God speaking in Trinity is definitely a, a good possibility in terms of why it's done like that right at the beginning, right at the outset in Genesis 1. Okay. Well, I, I kind of reject the Trinity explanation, but I was just, I was just kind of curious if Hebrew had that kind. But I guess that, yeah, when it does say our image, that does kind of complicate it further. So. It does. And, and the reason you reject the Trinitarian explanation is? Oh, well, I, 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 uh, I'm kind of a Unitarian, so I just ah. kind hey, of hey, well, listen, wanted to. Yeah, here, here's the deal on that, Anthony. That is not a primary argument I would use for God's triunity, but I would say, since the Bible overwhelmingly speaks of his triunity throughout the scriptures, that this is definitely in harmony with it. So this is not my primary proof text. There are many, many other things I would, I would point to. Uh, but certainly the parallel with the Romance language is, no, it does, doesn't work in Hebrew, A, and B, as you rightly understood my issue, saying our image, our likeness, that disqualifies it as well. So, hey, chew on it. Maybe you need to rethink the paradigm. But thank you, sir, for the call. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Justin in Dallas, Georgia. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, God bless you, Dr. Brown. God bless. Hey, uh, so my question, 
So it's clear that we're not under the law any longer in the New Testament mm-hmm. the, after Christ's coming. But how would you uh, personally harmonize Matthew five seventeen to 19, mm-hmm. where Jesus talks about uh, they didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill... Yep. Nothing's going to pass away to all be fulfilled. You know, if you teach men to break these commandments, you know, it's... Yep. Uh, great, great very, question that comes up all the time. Hey, Justin, do you have me on speakerphone? Because it's a little echoey and hard to hear you. So, Justin, question for you. Yeah, oh, okay, so if we could switch off of that, that would be great for our, yeah. li- for our listeners. Okay, so a question for you. How did Jesus fulfill the law in terms of animal sacrifices and atonement i mean he he was the uh the final atonement you know those things are no longer necessary right okay so there are aspects of the law that he fulfills by bringing to their their full meaning or their full application right right okay uh how about the moral commandments obviously in his own life he lives them out but if you look at the sermon on the mount that follows what does Jesus do in an illustrative way with the moral commandments? How is he showing how he fulfills the law in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount? What would you say he does with the moral commandments? Uh, if anything, it seems like he's actually raising the bar. Raising the bar. Okay, exactly. Good, good. All right. And then what about the biblical calendar? Uh, say Passover, and he dies at Passover and is called our Passover lamb where he sends the Spirit right. at, at Pentecost. So would you see him also in that way fulfilling right, the law? Right. But, right, okay, so, so the, each thing has to be broken down, right? In, in other words, the, the Torah is multifaceted. So everything having to do with atonement, our approach to God, priestly ministry, blood sacrifice, he fulfills by being our great high priest and by being the, the final sacrifice to atone for the sins of the world. The biblical calendar, he, he brings to a full meaning Passover, first fruits with his resurrection, Passover with his death, first fruits with his resurrection, shovel with Pentecost with the outpouring of the Spirit. When he returns, he'll, he'll bring to fulfillment that which still remains. So the, the fall holidays, which have to do with the blowing of the trumpet, so the, and then becomes Jewish New Year, and then atonement and tabernacles, the final harvest, etc. So brings those to fulfillment with his return and establishing his kingdom on the earth, he takes the moral commandments of the Torah to a higher level. So when he says, whoever breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others, I believe what he's now saying is, as I'm giving application to them, as I'm now showing you what they mean here in the Sermon on the Mount, that those who hold to these will be great in the kingdom of God, and those who don't will be least in the kingdom of God. So he's now giving the explanation for how to live this out. And now what we, we look at is what did he teach? What did he transmit? What is taught and transmitted through the rest of the New Testament? That is now how we live out the new and better covenant, which calls us to an even higher moral and spiritual level. Uh, so again, if you read it to say, He's just talking about the Sinai covenant, and therefore you have to keep every last detail of purity laws or stoning disobedient, rebellious teenagers and, and so on, then obviously that would create all kinds of contradictions, problems, and issues, and would just undermine much of the message of, of the New Covenant writings. If you understand it all through the lens of 
who he is as Messiah and what he does and how he doesn't abolish, he brings to its full meaning or full application, then, then we can make sense of this. And some things are fulfilled in terms of done. We don't have to go to a temple for blood atonement that's been done through the cross. Others are fulfilled by saying, now, here's a calling to live in a higher moral way. Here's what Torah said. Now I'm going to bring it to its full meaning and application. So that's as I understand the passage, and it works with consistency then through the Sermon on the Mount. Notice also Matthew 5:17, Law and Prophets is then repeated 7:12, Law and Prophets or Law or Prophets. That's basically saying everything in between. That's my application. That's my message. All right, we'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. That Hebrew singing tells you it is thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. 866-348-348. Seven eight eight four. I was just looking at an email I had received during the break, and it reminded me, reminded me that there's a lot of censorship out there these days. There, there are messages that we seek to get out, and they get shut down as inappropriate, or different social media won't carry it. So we want to make sure you don't miss anything, any of our updates, any of the articles, videos we put out to equip you. So. Go to AskDrBrown.org, AskDrBrown.org. This way you can get our regular emails, our updates, information, special resource office. Just sign up for the emails there, and you will be blessed as you do. This way you won't miss anything. On a weekly basis, you'll know what's happening, and, and right at your convenience, boom, latest articles, latest videos, latest Jewish outreach materials, things like that, answering the rabbis, all there for you, sdrbrown.org, sign up for our emails. All right, I, I want to reply to a, a very interesting comment that was posted on YouTube. First, let me take another call or two. We go to James in Macon, Georgia. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, how are you? Doing very well, thank you. Uh, Dr. Brown, I, uh, I grew up in South Florida in the, in the Jewish community, spoke with mm-hmm. home. And uh, as, as, you know, when I became a, a believer, I, I realized that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the modern uh, Jews, they are not affiliated with a, uh, a Hebrew-Israelite tribe. I just want to ask you your, your opinion, since you're a Hebrew scholar. When did, when did the Jewish community um, uh, just stop claiming their uh, heritage? from uh, uh, Israelite uh, tribe, tribal heritage. Right, well, they would, they would still assume there's a tribal heritage. It would just be limited to a few. In other words, it's not that there's no tribal heritage, but things really got amalgamated largely with the tribe of Judah, and then others preserved their priestly uh, descent as Levites. Now, very, very religious Jews, they will often have preserved things better through the ages, 
and will say, no, I know what tribe I'm from, and it goes back generations. And it may be accurate information. It may not. Uh, some things can be confirmed via DNA. For example, those who would say they're, they're of the priestly tribe of, of Levi, or more specifically, uh, the, the, the high priestly lineage, the Kohen. So many times people with the last name Cohen or last name Levi or Levi, they can, they can confirm that by DNA. But what happened overall, James, is that in 721 B.C., so over 2,500 years ago, when the northern ten tribes were decimated by the Assyrians, they were scattered to different parts of the world. Others that left were, were now intermingled with Gentiles and things like that. So a lot of their tribal identity got lost at that point. Uh, some of them fled to the south and became part of the kingdom of Judah. So you had Judah, Benjamin, Simeon may have been partly uh, involved with that. You also have the, the tribe of Levi scattered among the different tribes. And then after 586 BC, when the temple is destroyed, so again over 2,500 years ago, and the many Jews scattered to Babylon. So many remained there after uh, 70 years when others returned. But those that returned now, they were, they were part of the province of Judah. So if you lived there, you were a Yehudi, you were a Jew. So there still were tribal affiliations. The New Testament does talk about people from different tribes. And Paul references it, and Jacob, James referenced the 12 tribes of Israel. So there was still recognition of it. But because you didn't have tribal inheritance anymore, because everyone was kind of put in the larger category of being a, a Judean or a Jew, Yehudi, that that became the primary marker. So the marker has remained strong through the centuries because it's normally been very difficult to be a Jew. It's been difficult to be affiliated with the Jewish people. It's been difficult to hold to Judaism in the midst of a Christian Muslim world in, in terms of most of the places where Jews have lived. Uh, but knowing a specific tribe, that's been largely lost for many centuries now. So it doesn't mean that there's not a tribal affiliation. It just means it's difficult to trace directly. And the largest tribal affiliation would be that of Judah, just naturally from there. But that, that's the answer. Again, it doesn't mean there's no affiliation. It just means that it's not certain what the tribal affiliation ultimately would have been through history. Hey, thank you for asking and all right, I'm going to grab one more call for the moment and then go to this YouTube comment and then we'll, we'll get some more calls. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Gloria in Texas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. I uh, hope you can hear me. Yeah, a uh, little, little hard to hear you. Uh, it sounds like I'm on speaker or something echoey. So we try I to took you on speakerphone. Can you hear me? All right, me? there we go. That's better. Thank you. Okay, um, so my question is um, twofold. It's more about the, when you talked about what uh, Paul said to the Galatians about circumcision. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in Africa. I grew up in, I, I came to this country like a couple of years ago. But my understanding is that he's saying that circumcision doesn't save you. Uh, and I say this because of the fact that Growing up, we were circumcised. The, the males were circumcised in my tribe. But um, when the missionaries came, they said that, that you don't have to do that anymore, that Jesus did away with that. 
Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, my tribe, they didn't stop circumcising their, their boys. We didn't understand what circumcision was. We, don't, we didn't know where it came from. We just know that that's one of our traditions, to circumcise the milk kid on the eighth day. Um, so now that being said, you can be circumcised in our tribe, but you still be as wicked as anyone, as devil himself. Right, right, So right. my understanding of what he was saying was that circumcision isn't what's going to save you, but, you know, belief in Jesus, understanding of what he's completed work is what's going to save you. Right. Um, so uh, I, let, I'm let, Yeah, let me explain it a little bit more depth, though. And then I've got a a specific question for you about your tribe, okay? So the the point Paul's making, when you converted to Judaism, you would, if you were a male, be circumcised. Both men and women would be immersed in water. And then you would pledge to keep the 613 commandments of the Torah as applicable to you, all right? So what these Galatians were told was, oh, no, you're now following the Jewish Messiah. So you basically have to become Jews. Therefore, you have to be circumcised. All right. We weren't talking about circumcising babies at that point, but, but adults in particular. You have to become circumcised and obey the law of Moses. So that was the point that was being made. Everybody understands that physical circumcision alone doesn't save you. Right. You can be physically circumcised and a wicked person and fall under God's judgment. Jewish people understood that. They thought this was their entry right, that this was now a requirement. So that's, that's the difference there. But Gloria, uh, what part of Africa were you, uh, were you from? Um, I'm, I'm Nigerian, but I would rather not speak our tribe's name because we're a small people. And I okay, don't want to put them got out it. So, so within Nigeria, there are a, a good number of groups that have been discovered that still practice various Jewish customs, including circumcision, of males on the eighth day. The question is, where did that come from? And one likely explanation is, as the Jewish people were scattered around the world, and they got settled in different parts of the world, like in Ethiopia, for example, or in Zimbabwe, that they then began to uh, intermarry with the people there. Some of them left their Jewish heritage entirely. Others, others, the people converted to Judaism and married in, and over a period of time, they just look like the local population. That's why you have white Jews and black Jews and, and, and Jews of different skin color and ethnicity, because we've been scattered around the world. So there, there's a good chance, or I should say some chance, that this was preserving a custom because you actually have literal Israelite roots. And the way to test that, of course, is DNA. And there are, there are Jewish organizations that go around the world to do this very thing. And they, they see, okay, you do have Jewish blood. You do have Jewish heritage. So in a case like that, if, if I was a missionary and I came across people doing this, I would make clear that salvation is through Jesus the Messiah, um, not through a, a physical mark on the body, etc. However, I would not stop them from doing it. I would find out, okay, what's your history? Tell me your traditions. How far back do you go? Do you believe you have a connection to the, the 12 tribes of Israel and do our best to find it out because it's, you know, it's, it's not the average custom that people are going to just adapt. You know what I'm saying? Oh, we just happen to yeah. come up with this on our own. So that's a separate, that's a separate question entirely. And it's one that's worth, if, if you want to, if you want to write to us through the website, ask drbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, and just confidentially, we can give you further information about this or what we know about the tribe. Um, we're happy to do that. Okay. 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 Sounds good. 
All right. Thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it. I tell you what, I'm going to take one more call and then I'm going to dive into um, I'm going to dive into this other interesting comment and, and give you some really good feedback that will help you in sharing the good news with our Jewish friends. Let's go to Lewis in Jackson, Tennessee. Welcome to the line of fire. Praise the Lord. Michael, this is Lou from Beth Messiah. Um, I'm 90 years of age now, sir, and it's nice to hear you on the on the air. Over 90. Wow, you sound terrific. <laughs> uh, I'm grateful for everything, Michael. I mean, I've been in this Bible now for 45 or 50 years. Wonderful, wonderful. God's amazing, isn't right. He? Yeah, the the it's, word is so rich. Oh, it's beautiful. I, I fell in love with the last chapter of the. New Testament, the last few verses, is so powerful. It fits everything in that Bible. Yeah, there's a wonderful call, you know, as, as Yeshua is returning. Let the Spirit and the Bride say, come, and let him who's thirsty say, come, right? Uh, and, you know, there's the invitation, whoever's willing, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. And from there, Amen. from there, we move into the e eternity with him, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. Hey, thank you for calling just to say hi. I appreciate it. And boy, what a great testimony at 90. May we all be thriving, healthy, strong, sharp minds, hearts in love with the Lord as we come into our later years. Thank you, sir, for the call. God bless. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to our thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast where we serve, not just on this day, but every day, is your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Our goal to build you up in the faith, to infuse you with, with courage, with strength, with truth, to see you healthy and thriving in God. You know, we encourage you to visit our partner website, vitaminmission.com with Dr. Mark Stengler for health supplements. That's the physical body. We want to see you physically healthy and thriving. So go to vitaminmission.com to find out more about that. But even more, we want to see you spiritually healthy and thriving. So Thank you for praying for our work. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for helping us help others. In particular, those of you who support us regularly, thank you. And those with one-time gifts, thank you for helping us reach the Jewish people with the good news of the Messiah. Okay, so we've been releasing a series of videos on answering the rabbis and started with some of those volatile videos out there from Rabbi Tovia Singer and if you said, why don't you debate him face-to-face, -face? anytime, would love to, be glad to. It comes up a lot because many times I've been asked to and I always say, yeah, of course, but, but he's declined for what? So it's going back to early 90s, so 30 years now. In any case, in any case, because the videos are out there, 
we're taking time to cut through the confusion, reveal the errors, reveal in some cases the outright deception, and set things right with truth. And they're very detailed, they're in-depth, and then people respond that have been helped and it's opened their eyes or they recognize the deception or the misinformation that, that was put out by Rabbi Singer. And then others, of course, will agree with him, especially religious Jews, and will challenge and attack. So I, I spotted this the other day in the YouTube comments, and I just want to read it to you. And it, it was anonymous, just some, some screen name. When he, speaking of me, does that laugh, when he pretends to answer Rabbi Singer's use issues with the New Testament, it makes me cringe. So the, the, first, the first point about that is, is simply, there's no pretending anything. Dig in. I'm giving you the data. I'm giving you the information. This, this is not sleight of hand. This is dig deep. Look at it. That's what we'll put things up in Hebrew and Aramaic and in, in, in Greek and other languages. Say, so here, look, dig. Here's the information for you. Um, the deception Brown engages in is so apparent and so appalling. Singer said Jesus is never explicitly in the Bible, and this is true. Saying it is hinted to somewhere using a high priest from half a millennium before Jesus existed to claim Jesus is in there is just so disingenuous. What does Joshua the high priest have to do with anything? before? Because he wore crowns, therefore he must be Jesus? I think he's going off the deep end. What's he talking about? So, again, when you see someone using this type of rhetoric and insult and mockery, it's often in direct proportion to the bankruptcy of their arguments. That's why sometimes people get really nasty and aggressive. It's because they've got nothing of substance to deal with. I'm happy to say, let's look at the substance. Look at the facts. Look at the reality. So, number one, to say that Jesus is never mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, of course, that's false. Why? Because the name Yeshua occurs about 27 times for five different people. So that name, Yeshua, which would be Jesus in the original Hebrew slash Aramaic, so th that name occurs numerous times. You say, well, what's just the name got to do with anything? Okay, how about this? That this man, Yehoshua, Joshua, the high priest, we are told by God in the book of Zechariah, the sixth chapter, that he is a type and symbol. He is a sign of the branch. Who is the branch? The branch is the Messiah. Look in Jeremiah chapter 23. There are even rabbinic commentaries that recognize that. There are even Jewish translations that recognize that, that the branch is the Messiah. So this man, Yehoshua, whose name is more frequently, more commonly referred to as Yeshua in the Hebrew Bible, got it? This man, Yeshua, the high priest, Jesus, the high priest, sits on a throne wearing crowns, which priests do not do. That's what kings do. So he is a sign of the royal priestly Messiah. He is a sign that the Messiah will be king and priest. This man with the same name, Jesus, Yeshua, we are told is a sign of the coming one, the branch, who elsewhere in Scripture is clearly identified as the son of David, the Messiah. That's what it's got to do with. No deception here, no subterfuge, just factual information. Yeah. He goes on, 
How is it possible in the 24,000 verses in the Old Testament, it never says God is one in three parts, or God will be sending his only son to die on a cross, or God has a son and you can only get to God through his son, or God will send himself here as a man, or God will send his son to die for your sins. All you need to do is believe and you'll be saved, and the Messiah will come, fulfill none of the prophecies, and then return later to fulfill all of them. Or I'll eventually reject the Jews in favor of non-Jews. He says the opposite in Leviticus 26. You get the point. Brown knows perfectly well Jesus and every distorted Christian doctrine is completely absent from the Old Testament to claim that the absurd hints that Christianity uses to show he is in the Old Testament, somehow that Jesus actually is right there and senior lied as such a joke. So again, and I, I feel bad for people who post these things, assuming they believe what they're writing. They're not just trying to be silly or obnoxious. They believe that they're writing. The, the idea that I know I'm deceiving everyone. I mean, th think of how far you have to go to, to, that how far you have to say, I don't want to see or hear anything contrary to accuse someone who's given 50 years of their life to preaching this message and has lost much for preaching this message that I know it's all false and I'm making it up. You really, why would a person hold to that? I would assume the person writing this believes what they're saying, but they're wrong. They're in serious error. But to say, no, 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 they know it's all a myth. That's really, why would someone think like that unless they're just closing their eyes and saying, I don't want to see, covering their ears, I don't want to hear. Now, of course, I could ask the question, well, to a traditional Jew, the whole foundation of your life is the oral law. Without the oral law, you'd say the written law is impossible to understand in practice, where if they're using this number 24,000 verses in the Old Testament, how come it never says I'm giving you an oral law? How come it never says there are going to be two Torahs, one that is oral and one that is written? Specifically, two Torahs. How come it never says that? How come it never says that without the oral interpretation, you can't understand what's written? How come it says the opposite over and over and over and over and over and over and over again? Namely, namely that the covenant is made based on what is written, what is written, what is written, what is written. You have the book of the law, the book of the law, the book of the law. As for the objections here, we've, we've dealt with all of them. God is clearly revealed as a complex unity in the Hebrew Bible. He's seen physically in human form while also filling the universe with his presence and sitting enthroned in heaven. You have the, the whole of the sacrificial system pointing towards him, the priestly ministry pointing towards him, uh, other aspects that are, that are clear. How, how about the beginning of Isaiah 53, where the question says, who's believed our report? What's the report? It's about the sacrificial death of the Messiah. But I mean, we've answered all these things time and time and time again. Um, you know, he says towards the end of his post, in addition, his use of Jewish sources always cracks me up. The fact that he has to resort to the very people who vehemently would disagree with everything Brown says shows how desperate he is to justify himself it's so relevant if this is some sort of exalted angel responding to my video. It's not God, it's definitely not Jesus. Why do I quote Jewish sources? To say, hey, you think I'm making this up. You, you say I, I'm just coming up with something that no one ever came up with. No, here a rabbi saying the same thing. I, I'll give you a quick example and read as much of this as I can uh, before we are out of time here. Um, this is Rabbi Beryl Wine. All right? He says this. In, in uh, his book, oh, let me just get the title of the book here so you can look it up, The Triumph of Survival, The Story of the Jews in the Modern Era, 1650 to 1990. He is a highly respected Orthodox Jewish historian. He said, another consideration tinged the Jewish response to the slaughter of its people. It was an old Jewish tradition dating back to biblical times 
that the death of the righteous and innocent served as an expiation for the sins of the nation of the world. The stories of Isaac and of Nadav and Avihu, the prophetic description of Israel as the long-suffering servant of the Lord, the sacrificial service of the temple, this is Orthodox Jewish rabbi, all served to reinforce this basic concept of the death of the righteous as an atonement for the sins of other men. That's the gospel, except we say it's the perfectly righteous one, the Messiah. He continued, Jews nurtured this classic idea of death as an atonement, and this attitude towards their own tragedies was their constant companion throughout their turbulent exile. Therefore, the wholly bleak picture of unreasoning slaughter was somewhat relieved by the fact that the innocent did not die in vain and that the betterment of Israel and humankind somehow was advanced by their stretching their neck to be slaughtered. What is amazing is that this abstract, sophisticated theological thought should have become so ingrained in the psyche of the people that even the least educated and most simplistic of Jews understood the lesson and acted upon it, giving a precious life in a soaring act of belief and affirmation of the better tomorrow. The spirit of the Jews is truly reflected in the historical chronicle of the time. Quote, Would the Holy One, blessed be He, dispense judgment without justice? This is going back 400 plus years. With the Holy One, blessed be he, dispense judgment without justice. But we may say that he whom God loves will be chastised. For since the day the Holy Temple was destroyed, the righteous are seized by death for the iniquities of the generation. That is from the Chronicle Yevon Mitzulah, end of the 15th chapter, as quoted by Orthodox Jewish Rabbi Beryl Wine. For those who say, well, this is a non-Jewish concept, the atoning power, the death of the Messiah, think again. All right, friends, on YouTube, Ask Dr. Brown, ASK Dear Brown on YouTube. We'll be back in 15 minutes with our exclusive weekly Q&A chat. Another program powered by the Truth Network.